Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. All right, good morning, LifePoint. Hey, if you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17 in our time together this morning. Hey, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ben Wright, and I am the associate pastor of Student Life here at the church. Uh, I'm extremely thankful and grateful um, for this opportunity given to me from Pastor Lane and from the elders to preach to you all from God's word this morning. I actually preached my first sermon uh, here at LifePoint about six or seven years ago. It was the first sermon I ever preached. Let's hope and pray that today's not my last sermon, okay? Can we do that? Awesome. Hey, 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, look with me at verses 12 through 17. Um, here's my hope for this morning. You're probably not going to hear anything you haven't heard yet, okay? Uh, I know that LifePoint is preaching the gospel every single Sunday. But what I want to do is I just want to remind us of the love that Christ has had for us and that out of that we would live a life of thankfulness for Jesus. So here's our big idea for this morning. Our big idea is that the Christian life is a life of constant thankfulness for Jesus, I'll say that again. The Christian life is a life of constant thankfulness for Jesus. So go ahead, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and look with me starting in verse 12. 1 Timothy, that's a New Testament book. You can find that towards the end of your Bible. Look with me starting in verse 12 all the way to verse 17. Starting in verse 12 we read, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost." But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Hey, what is it that you're most thankful for in your life right now? Is it a person? Maybe it's your spouse, a child, a friend? Is it your job, your health, your finances, your personal appearance? Maybe a home, a new car? Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that thing that you're most thankful for and now ask yourself this question. Why? Why are you most thankful for it? I remember six years ago when my wife Carmen and I found out that we were having our first son, Owen. We had been married for a couple of years, and we decided um, that we were going to start trying to have kids. Uh, we, we saw all the awesome social media posts that Life Pointers put out there on how easy it was to parent, and we were like, yeah, sure, we can do this. Let's go for it. And so the Lord blessed us with a little boy in Owen, uh, and, but when we found out that she was pregnant, we were ecstatic. We were full of joy uh, and gratefulness and thankfulness. 
We were completely infatuated with that little boy. We chronicled his whole journey from the size, when he was the size of a pea to a starburst to an avocado. We made sure everybody knew it as we posted it on social media. Uh, we paid way too, mi- way too much for uh, clothes that would fit the size of a doll. Uh, we, I mean, we were just all about Owen. We were so thankful that the Lord had blessed us and allowed us to be parents. Now let's fast forward six years. We have three boys, five and under, and I'm pretty sure our home would qualify as a war zone. It would be a great venue for a WWE event. Uh, I am sure that our neighbors think that we are clinically insane. Let me give you a day in the life of us, uh, mostly my wife, and how this goes. So uh, boys wake up in the morning, they eat breakfast. It takes two hours to clean up their mess from breakfast, which leads us straight into lunch. It takes two hours to clean that mess up, which takes us straight into dinner. It's just a cycle that's ongoing and ongoing. Sometimes one of the boys will start crying and screaming, then the other one will start crying and screaming, and then all three at the same time are harmoniously crying and screaming, uh, and it's really beautiful. Uh, uh, sometimes they'll break something, and then we replace what they break, and then they just break it again, and it's just the cycle of replacing things over and over again. Uh, and so sometimes Carmen and I will, will go to bed at night, and we'll look in each other's eyes, and we'll say, what in the world have we done? Look, I love being a father. We love being parents, but parenting is by far the most difficult thing we've ever done. It is the most sanctifying thing. It has revealed sin in us that we didn't know we had. And if we're not careful, we can lose sight of the thankfulness we should have in being parents, and our hearts can begin to grow hard. That's why we need constant reminders of the joy and the blessings it is to be a parent. Well, the same is true with you and I and our relationship with Jesus and the understanding of the gospel. We need constant reminders of how much God has loved us through his son so that we can live a life out of thankfulness to the glory of God's name. Because if we forget, our hearts can begin to grow hard and we lose that love that we should ultimately have for Jesus. And so what we're going to see in 1 Timothy chapter 1 today, and once again, here's our big idea, is we're going to see that the Christian life is a life of constant thankfulness for Jesus. It never ends. It's not just when you put your faith in Jesus. It's a life full of constant thankfulness for Jesus. And so my hope for us this morning as you guys leave here is that you just are more in love with Jesus than when you came. So this morning I'm going to give you two reasons to be thankful for Jesus. Two reasons to be thankful for Jesus from 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's go ahead and let's look at that first reason to be thankful for Jesus. First reason to be thankful for Jesus is that Jesus takes our sinful life and he gives us a new life in him. I'll say it again. Jesus, he takes our sinful life and he gives us a new life in him. Now, before I get to these verses in 12, uh, verses 12 through 15, I wanna give you a little bit of context. What's going on in 1 Timothy? The author of 1 Timothy is a man by the name of Paul, the apostle Paul, and he's writing to a young pastor, a young man in Ephesus. And actually, Paul had been discipling Timothy. Timothy was a protege of Paul. Um, And Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus who was struggling with a lot of false teachers creeping into the church. And here's what the false teachers were telling him. The false teachers were saying that the gospel isn't enough, that Jesus' work on the cross isn't enough, that there's some things that you need to do to add to your salvation. And what Paul says as he's writing to Timothy, he says, no, 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 no. Jesus is enough. We bring absolutely nothing to the table. 
It's all because of Christ and what he's accomplished for us on the cross. And what Paul's gonna show us in verses 12 through 15 is he's gonna give his own life as an example to the grace and the mercy of God. So go ahead and look with me starting in verse 12 and let's see what Paul says here. Starting in verse 12, Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and insolent opponent. So Paul starts off by saying how thankful he is for God to choose Paul and appoint him to the mission he's had in his life to go and make disciples to the glory of God's name. But then Paul gives us a little bit of insight into who he used to be. Now let's look at who it used to be. Look with me at verse 13. He says in verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Listen to what other passages in scripture say about Paul's former life. Acts chapter eight, verse three says, but Saul, and Saul is Paul just before his life was transformed by Jesus, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Acts nine, verses one through two says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Acts chapter eight tells us that Paul approved of the execution of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Guys, Paul, Paul was a terrorist against the church. Paul went around hunting down Christians, having them murdered and imprisoned. If you took Paul's resume, there's no way that he would even qualify as a community group leader here at LifePoint. How many of you would want to be in that group? I mean, let's just be honest. So here's the question we have to ask. How did Jesus judge Paul faithfully, as he says in verse 12, without Paul facing God's punishment for his sin because he deserved it? And then how did he appoint Paul to become the greatest missionary this world has ever seen? Well, look with me at verses 13 through 14. Paul says, but I received mercy. If you guys write in your Bible, circle that word right there, mercy. He says, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord, circle that word grace as well, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. God showed Paul mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Paul deserved hell. Paul deserved judgment and condemnation for his sin, but God showed him mercy. And then he also showed him grace. Grace is undeserved favor. So not only did Paul not get what he deserved, he was given something in light of what he did deserve. And look what he says. Uh, He says that that grace is the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then we read in verse 15, look with me at verse 15. It's one of the most beautiful passages in all of scripture. Paul says that the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Guys, this is the good news of the gospel, that God came into this world to save sinners. You and I, every single day, we battle between the flesh and the spirit for those of us who are in Christ. And so often we run back to our old sinful habits. But Jesus, and the good news is that Jesus has come to rescue us and to transform our lives. But here's the hard part. We live in a world that constantly tells us how awesome we are and that you need more of yourself and that we shouldn't say anything negative at all. Everybody is good. The problem is, is the Bible doesn't define us as being good. 
The, defi- the Bible defines us without Jesus as being a sinner. And here's why that's important to understand. Without a proper understanding of our, our natural depravity, of our, our sinfulness, we won't be as thankful for what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. We don't need more of ourselves. We need more of Jesus. Listen to what the Bible tell, says about us before we came to know Jesus. Romans 3, verses 10 through 12 says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of of the air. Listen to the terminology the Bible uses. No one does good. No one is righteous. Ephesians 2 says that you are spiritually dead, literally enslaved to the enemy yourself. Now, once again, we live in a culture that doesn't believe this. The majority of people, they would say they're going to heaven because they believe they're good people. Let me give you an illustration here. I want you to imagine with me for a second that everything you've ever done in your life, every thought you've ever had, Every look you've ever made, every word you've ever spoken, every action you've ever committed was put on that screen right there for the entire world to see. How do you think you would feel? I know how I would feel. I wouldn't want you to see the past week of my life. I would be filled with so much guilt and shame and embarrassment over my sin. Now imagine, because one day the Bible says that we're going to be standing before the throne of God, having to give an account to Jesus himself. Imagine standing before the most holies of holies, perfect, righteous, blameless. If you feel this bad and guilty and shameful over your sin around other sinful human beings, how are you going to feel when you stand in the presence of God? You won't be able to handle it. You will deserve, you will understand that you deserve the wrath and the sin and the punishment for your sin that God puts upon us. Guys, this is what the Bible describes us without Jesus. But the good news is, look with me at verse 15 again. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. God took on flesh. God saw us in our sin and he knew that we needed to be rescued. And so God took on flesh. He came into this world to live the perfect life in our place that you and I could not live. Every sinful look we've ever had, Jesus never had that sinful look. Every sinful thought we've ever had, Jesus never had that sinful thought. Every sinful motive we've ever had, Jesus never had that sinful motive. Every sinful action, Jesus never had that action. Jesus came and he lived the perfect life in our place because we couldn't. He died the death on the cross that we deserved at Calvary on the cross. Jesus was nailed to the cross. All of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our sin was nailed to him past present and future. Jesus went into the grave for three days and then he resurrected and that's the good news. That's why we have Easter to prove that his sacrifice was enough, that we no longer have to be dead in our sin. That's the good news of the gospel. And when we we repent of our sin, when we turn from our sin and we acknowledge our sin before a holy God and we put our trust in Jesus's perfect life, death and resurrection on our behalf, we are saved. We are forgiven. Past, present, future sin. It's all been washed away. You get a relationship with God. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of you and you're given a new life with new desires, a new purpose, and a newfound joy that can only be found in Jesus. And here's the good news. Remember that illustration I looked at? I said, look at that screen earlier. When your faith is in Jesus and everybody in the world in this room, look at that screen. 
all they see is Jesus' perfect life in your place. They don't see your old life any longer because it's been nailed to the cross. Let me ask you this. Do you ever struggle with feeling not worthy enough for God? Do you ever struggle with past sin or guilt or shame that hinders you from feeling like you can do anything for God? You don't even feel loved by him anymore, guys. Jesus has paid it all. You don't have to believe the lies from the enemy any longer. When the Father looks down at you, if you are in Jesus, and listen, I'm saying if you are in Jesus, if you're not in Jesus, this is not who you are, okay? But you can be today, but that's not who you are. But if you are in Jesus, when the Father looks down at you, you are completely holy and blameless and righteous in his sight because Jesus has been for you. This is how much God loves you. Listen to, what your new, listen to your new life. Uh, listen to what the Bible says about your new life in Christ. John 1.12 says that you are now a child of God. Colossians 1.2 says that you are a saint. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that you are a new creation. 1 Peter 2.9 says that you and your brothers and sisters in Christ are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. John 15.5 says that you are now Jesus' friend. And Ephesians 1 says that you are holy and blameless. You go from being spiritually dead to holy and blameless in Christ. Guys, this is the good news of the gospel and why we should be thankful for Jesus. That's the first reason we should be thankful for Jesus. The first reason we should be thankful for Jesus is because Jesus takes our sinful life and he gives us a new life in him. Let's look at the second reason why we should be thankful for Jesus. The second reason we should be thankful for Jesus is that Jesus uses our new life to now show how glorious he is. I'll say that again. Jesus, he uses our new life to show how glorious he is. Look with me at verses 16 through 17 in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul continues in verse 16 by saying, but I received mercy for this reason. So now Paul is telling us and telling Timothy why God did what he did for Paul. He says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. God said, or Paul says, God did what he did for me to use me as an example to lead more people to Jesus so that God would receive more and more glory. It's not about how awesome Paul was or how Paul mustered the strength to change his life. It's all by the grace of God and God completely transformed his life and used it for the glory of his name. This is why Paul finishes in verse 17 with a praise by saying, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Jesus met Paul where he was in life, literally about to go in prison and have Christians murdered, changed his life and used it for the glory of his name. Listen to how the Bible, how the Bible describes Paul's new life. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, this is Paul. It says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, 
often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Philippians 3.8, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Guys, Paul went from imprisoning and murdering Christians to literally laying his life down for Jesus for the sake of the gospel. This is how God works. This is how God is glorified. He takes our lives, he introduces us to Jesus, Jesus changes our lives, and God is glorified through it. Let me give you a biblical example of how this worked. I want you to imagine with me right now that it's your favorite day of the year. It's April 15th, National Tax Day, okay? National Tax Day. Now, imagine you're sitting in a room with your accountant, and your accountant tells you that you owe 50% more than what you owed last year. And nothing has changed. Nothing has changed whatsoever. But you owe 50% more than what you did last year. And then they give you the spiel on why you owe that much. And honestly, you just don't want to be audited, and so you just pay it, okay? Now, imagine a couple months later, you find out that you didn't really owe that 50% more and that the accountant actually just pocketed that and the government was completely okay with that. How do you think you'd feel? You'd probably be exercising those Second Amendment rights. I know where we're at. We're in Southwest Missouri. Okay, I know how it works. I want you to imagine what I just described, and that's what took place in the Gospel of Matthew by a man named Matthew. In Matthew chapter 9, we're introduced to this character, and he's a tax collector, and his name is Matthew. And Matthew goes around, and he charges people more than what he should, and the government's okay with it, and people hate his guts. The religious leaders want nothing to do with him. In fact, if you're a good person, your reputation is tarnished by just hanging out with Matthew. Matthew is the lowest of the lows. But let's look at how Jesus interacts with Matthew in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, it says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Matthew at that point. You have to think if you're at that point where you're ready just to accept Jesus right away, you've got to be pretty broken. You've got to realize that you've spent your entire life defrauding people just to save a few bucks that you've lost all sorts of friends, your reputation has been diminished, and then there's Jesus. And he's probably heard about Jesus. Jesus has been going around doing incredible things, and he's wondering, why in the world would Jesus want anything to do with me? And Jesus comes to Matthew, and he offers him hope and a new life. And Matthew leaves his old life, and he follows Jesus. And then let's look at verse 10, because what we see in verse 10 is that Matthew, he meets Jesus, he has his life transformed, and then he uses it to show how amazing Jesus is. And the next verse shows Matthew throwing a huge party for his, all of his friends who are tax collectors and sinners so that they too can meet Jesus and have their lives transformed. Look what verse 10 says. It says, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. See, Matthew went from stealing money from people to using his life to bring glory to God. Matthew is the author of the Gospel of Matthew. And history tells us um, that Matthew was speared to death and beheaded because he wouldn't stop telling people about Jesus. 
You see how God changes our lives? He gives us a new purpose with new desires, and he uses it for the glory of his name. This is what Jesus does. He gives us a new life that, so we can now show, him, show the world how glorious he is. The purpose of my life and the purpose of your life is to show God's glory to the rest of the world. This is the very reason why you and I were created. We were created as image bearers. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, God created man to reflect him in all that we do. So when the rest of the world looks at creation, at humans specifically, they go, wow, they look just like God. That's what we were created to. Colossians 1.16 says that all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Our life should reflect the beauty of Christ in everything we do because we were created for Jesus. We weren't created for our spouse. We weren't created for our kids. We weren't created for our job. Those are good, though, though those are good things, we weren't created for those things. We weren't created for our accomplishments or our finances. So we need to stop finding our ultimate purpose in those things. We were created for Jesus. And as we pursue Jesus first, we will experience ultimate joy because we're doing what we were created to do. When Jesus becomes our first priority in who we bring glory to, it changes every aspect of our lives. Our spouse no longer has to be that person that we're looking to complete us. We don't have to mold them into the person that we want them to be because Jesus is enough for us so we can lovingly serve them as Jesus has served us. We don't have to live vicariously through our children or prove to the world how awesome of parents we are because Jesus is enough. We can spend our time on our hands and our knees praying to the Lord and discipling that our, ch- our children so that they would become, look more like Jesus. Our work and our finances and how nice of a home and a car we have don't have to prove our self-worth any longer because Jesus is enough. We can now use those things to serve the mission of making disciples by loving and serving others. See how freeing it is when you understand your true identity and your true purpose in Jesus. God doesn't care if you're the janitor at McDonald's or the CEO of Amazon. He cares most about his glory and will use your life to bring him glory in whatever position he puts you in. You don't have to impress the world because Jesus is enough. What are you finding your purpose in right now? What is it that you're truly glorifying through your life? Is it Jesus or is it something or someone else? Because if it's not Jesus, guys, then we've replaced God. We've replaced Jesus with an idol. And that idol will never bring us the joy that our hearts and our souls are longing for. And what we need to do is we need to confess that sin. And we need to repent of it. And we need to turn away from that and turn towards the mercy and grace that can be only found in Jesus alone. Because our life should be spent making much of him. Guys, that's the second reason we're thankful for Jesus. It's because Jesus uses our new life to show how glorious he is. So this morning, we have looked at two reasons to be thankful for Jesus. First, we saw that Jesus takes our sinful life and he gives us a new life in him. And then finally, we just saw that Jesus uses our new life to show how glorious he is. I want to finish here this morning with just sharing a little bit about my own personal testimony and why I'm thankful and why I should be so thankful for Christ. I first had the gospel presented to me when I was 18 years old. Um, I, didn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up in a Jesus-centered home. Uh, I actually grew up going to the Catholic Church, and my mentality was that the good people go to heaven and the bad people go to hell. I actually got baptized in the Catholic Church, wasn't a believer whatsoever, because I believe that's just what the good people did, and so I did it. Um, and so I truly believed that God loved the good people and that he hated the bad people. My uncle was a priest. He was uh, kind of the spiritual shepherd of our family, and so that's where we all gravitated towards. Um, 
My entire life was works-based. I thought I was a good person. I was nowhere close to being a good person. If I could just do a little bit more good than bad, I thought, then God would accept me and God would love me. Then during my senior year of high school, uh, the Lord uh, strategically placed some Jesus followers around me and they gave me my first Bible. And my inner lawyer in me said, I'm going to read this Bible to prove to you that I'm right and you're wrong, that God loves the good people and he hates the bad people because they kept telling me about Jesus and how he died on the cross for me. I said, no, he loves the good people and he hates the bad people. I'm gonna prove it to you. And so uh, what I did was I began reading that Bible and here's, here's what I thought growing up. I grew up believing that the church was just a bunch of people trying to act like they had it all together because they knew deep down they didn't and so they just had to fake it. Though their life didn't show it, they faked it. My assumption of the biblical characters was that they were these superhumans that were so good and faithful and that's why God used them. That Noah was so full of faith and that God used him to preserve humanity. That Moses was so bold and awesome that God used him to lead the Israelites out of slavery. That David had such courage so God used him to be the greatest king that Israel ever had. That Solomon was so wise that God had to have him on his side. Paul was so gifted evangelistically and had such boldness that God used him. My mindset was God only wants the good people. And honestly, I knew that there was really no hope for me because I could never be like that. And then at 18, I actually began reading the Bible. And what I saw was not a bunch of perfect people, but a bunch of broken, sinful people that God used for his glory. See, no one ever told me about Noah's drinking problem that caused him to have his body exposed to his son. No one ever told me that Moses got so angry that he murdered a man with his own hands. No one ever told me that David was a horrible father, stole a man's wife, and then had that man murdered. No one ever told me that Solomon was addicted to sex and lived a life of complete sinful hedonism. No one ever told me that Paul was a former murderer and persecutor of the church. I always thought that these were the superheroes of the faith, but what I began to realize was that there was only one superhero of the faith, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I began to see that the Bible is just one big story of God's plan of redemption through Jesus, and this gave me great hope because I was a mess. And instead of God hating the messes, he uses the messes. The Bible is a story of a bunch of imperfect people needing the perfect one. Jesus is the point. You see where Noah lost self-control when tempted by drink, Jesus had perfect control when tempted by Satan. Where Moses gave in to his anger and murdered a man, Jesus controlled his anger while he was being murdered. Where David used his authority to commit adultery and have a man murdered, Jesus laid down his authority to save adulterers and murderers. Where Solomon used women for his own sinful desires, Jesus rescued women out of theirs. Where Paul was so zealous for the law that he persecuted and murdered Christians, Jesus was so zealous for the law that he died for Paul. From Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of time to the end, it's all about Jesus. Life point, we're thankful for Jesus because he is the only one that can take away our sin, bring us back into right relationship with God, and unite us with our new family for eternity. And it's for our greatest joy. Maybe you're in here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, but you just realize, man, the Holy Spirit's really convicting you. You have not been thankful um, for Jesus. And maybe it's a specific sin that the Holy Spirit's convicting you of right now, or maybe it's just complacency. Or maybe you're in here and for the first time you're hearing the gospel presented, or you've heard the gospel presented, but it's the first time that the Holy Spirit's really convicting you of your sin, and he's showing you just how much God has loved you through Jesus, and you're realizing, wow, I really need to put my faith in Jesus. I need to repent of the sin, 
I need to put my trust in Jesus. If that's you, um, either of you, um, I, myself, or another pastor will be standing up here during this final song uh, and, or after the song, and we would love to pray with you and talk about what it looks like to begin following Jesus. Life point, the Christian life is a life of constant thankfulness for Jesus. Let's pray.